BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Pressman, and today is a great chat with actress, writer, and producer Emily Mortimer who you've seen in movies such as Matchpoint, on TV, in the newsroom, and Doll and M, and more. Emily's talking about the challenges of siblings, taking sides when your child argues with a friend, and also how to be both there for your child and support them in the process of managing social conflicts on their own. Emily is lovable and brilliant, so it's just a pleasure speaking with her. And don't forget to stick around for the show notes, where I'm going to cover a little bit more about helping kids manage social conflicts. And then I'm doing a Q&A based on the Instagram direct messages from you guys. And now here's Emily. I'm here with Emily Mortimer, actress, producer, writer, um, the mother of May, who is in third grade. And so she must be nine. She's nine. Um, and I don't know why I said must be because she's exactly the same age as my daughter. <laughs> um, and Sam, who is he 14 now? He's or is 15. He 15. Oh, my God. I know. And he's in 10th grade. Wow. So that's that. I want to know. Um, so we're going to talk about lots of things, but tell me what you feel great about first. Something that you feel like I've nailed this part of being a mom. <laughs> I feel like I've I think I have nailed. There's one thing I have done quite well. I don't know whether I've nailed it, but I, I, I think I realized from the moment that they were born um, in both instances that I was able to just love them so besottedly and devotedly, mainly because they weren't really anything to do with me. <laughs> they were just totally separate from me. They, it was like a stork might as well have delivered them <laughs> on my doorstep. Um, um, and uh, that they were, of course, in some ways, a collection of genes that were inherited from, you know, all these hundreds of you know, members of my my family and me and my husband and all that, but but really they just were them their own selves, and so I didn't have any of the neurosis that I would have had if I'd have thought they were actually anything to do with me, <laughs> and um, and so uh, that was kind of an amazing relief, and I feel like it has kind of informed the best parts of me as a mother, and there are so many terrible parts, but the best parts <laughs> are that I don't. Um, I sort of see them as independent beings and I think I kind of uh, have waited for them to tell me who they are oh my God. rather than to think that I have to tell, tell them, them. Who, who they are and um, and they are amazing and um, uh, and so that's really cool and I, I feel um, 
like the other good thing, which is maybe slightly related, is that I haven't put much of my own shit on them. So, uh, yeah, but I, I think I've been quite good to, to, to the best of my abilities about knowing that however much kind of I'm sort of going through in my own little way, I don't, I don't put it on them too much. Although I do sometimes ask them if they love me and they both <laughs> hate me for it. I can't resist. <laughs> I say... <laughs> That's I said it to Sam the other day. He was 15. I said, Sam, do you love me? And he just looked at me like he was. I was a piece of just dog shit on the pavement. Because he, of course he loves you. Yes, and it's just needy. He's and like, don't be so needy, mom. It, and I think it makes them feel not very safe that your own mother's asking if you love them. <laughs> it's like, what is that? Anyway, so that's a bit, that's that's one area where, where my boundaries have been a bit off. And sometimes I've even asked them who they prefer out of me and Alessandro, <laughs> which is obviously not right. And good. who do they prefer? They just tell me to fuck off and shut up and stop being so idiotic. But Does he ever do that? Asking. No, of course he doesn't. No, uh, no, no, no. He's much too sensible. And, um, but anyway, so there are ba- there are areas where I, where the, my boundaries aren't great in the in the, in the um, and those are good examples. But but I think I haven't put I haven't put whatever it is that the pain of life on them that I've been going through, or tried to influence how they think about things, or tried to tell them how I think about people that might be driving me mad. Um, in the hope that they'll agree or, you know what I mean? So um, yes. That, so those are the two good things. Those are two of the most important are things really? as a parent to let your kid unfold as like who they are and not put your own shit on them. It's like <laughs> there's very little else that is that powerful. So, I mean. Well, maybe. If you, if you ask them if they love you, I feel like that. The, <laughs> I mean, it's not the dream. It no, it doesn't. It's just that that those are two, I think of the largest other than unconditionally loving them, which you had from the time they were born, the biggest things that the gifts that you can give your kids, because so many people put themselves into, you know, that they are yours, right? Yes. And not yes. their own people, even though your daughter looks identical to you. <laughs> so that could get confusing. Um, no. Well, thank you very much. That makes me feel very good. Yes, I, that's I, my professional I, are you, opinion. Are you sure you don't say that to all your guests? No, I promise. <laughs> I think it's like really a, like incredibly heartening not to have to cut that. <laughs> Good. Okay. But now let me tell you about the terrible things. Tell me about the terrible things because so, I think that makes everybody feel better too. I think so too. I'm feeling like I'm feeling bad. I feel like a brick is going you, to drop out of the sky and land on my head because I've just been boasting about my. I was hardly parenting. boasting. <laughs> okay. The bad thing is. As I was telling you a little bit in the lift coming up, I feel I am so conflict averse because Mm -hmm. I'm such a people pleaser myself, which is a result of my childhood and, um, and I, um, and also being a first child and everything, but, but, uh, you know, I just, um, I definitely, um, care terribly and desperately what everybody thinks and how whether or not they're happy and it's just as my sort of life's work to make sure everybody's okay and not cross with me that's why it feels so awful asking you to do something because you know that the answer is going to be yes regardless of whether you no, want to do it that's not true I have grown up and enough in my 47 years on this earth that I have learned to say no so I definitely wouldn't have done this unless I <laughs> wanted to but I'd love to. I mean it was really just a good excuse to talk to you I haven't no, seen nearly enough nice. of. but anyway um no I'm so thrilled to do this I think it's a very important service um because uh not enough is 
spoken of honestly about child raising and it's it's nice hearing people talk about how confusing it is because it really is but um yeah i i think that i was i so and yes yeah, so i'm so frightened of conflict that when there is inevitable conflict either between my children as as siblings or when they go to school and have rows with their friends mm-hmm. um i just can't deal with it I don't know how to advise them. I just so want what them to say sorry. To you? To, I, I get, you want them it, to fix it. I want them. To, I want them to just fix it. To I immediately think it's their fault, <laughs> <laughs> and they both tell me that I do that. I'm immediately like, well, well, well. What did you say to <laughs> Ryden if she's sort of got so upset? You know, I just immediately go straight like to that, and then I just feel sort of panic stricken by. I mean, especially they their fights between each other are so confusing to me. Partly because there's so there's such an age gap right. between Sam and May. Sam is fifteen, May is nine, but That's they've huge. always sort of fought with each other fiercely, and they do love each other, but it's not always obvious. And um, <laughs> and you know you'll be sitting in this sort of the most beautiful sort of restaurant, looking out at the sea, just on holiday, just thinking this is heaven. And then these two people just stop, just hurling insults at each other and ruin the lunch. And I'm just like. Wait, this is just so weird. I don't understand it. Why can't you just be nice to each other? And it makes me feel powerless. And I feel like I was good with one kid because you just dote on the kid and the kid loves you and it's all fine. Then there's another one and it's like you're running a small kind of business and there are these two employees that both kind of need to be made to feel equally as valued Mm -hmm. and, um, and they have all this conflict between them. And I don't know... I just get very panic-stricken and don't know how to sort it out and make everyone feel bad, including myself. And uh, I find it very difficult. I know you're meant to say, just sort it out amongst right, yourselves. Right. I think that's what you're meant to say. No, yeah, 15 <laughs> and 9, like, it's their relationship. <laughs> but what? But And then, I mean, it's just torture. It's a little bit of torture at that point because you can't. It's not like you can say, Sam, you're wrong or May, you're wrong because who knows what happened behind exactly. the scenes. Well, and he thinks that, I think part of it is that he thinks that I am indulgent of her. Sure. And well, I probably am. I'm I'm sure we're always more indulgent of our younger kids. Yes, partly because you can't be bothered anymore. Yeah. And, um, and they're cuter. And they're <laughs> cuter because they're younger. <laughs> um, no, and so you sort of, yes, he <laughs> thinks that, and I, and I keep saying, well, now I don't so much, but I always used to say, but she's three, Sam, or she's right. four. And he'd say, that doesn't make any difference. And I think he was sort of saying, but what about, I'm right. your child too, you know, and... I'm still a child. I might not be four, but I'm still a child. And yeah. why are you sort of making exceptions for her? And and I couldn't quite get that. That took a long time. Took a long time for me to sort of understand. But I've been really confusing, I think, because <laughs> I'm so <laughs> I'm so scared, or I'm just so frightened of people not getting along with each other and there being fights. So I so just, when they fight, what happens? I, I don't know, just nobody's happy and everybody ends up blaming me because <laughs> I haven't managed to sort it out and I'm desperately trying to sort it out and right. I manage, I end up managing to make it worse. worse. I mean, it, I can tra- trace it back to, I mean, this is really bad, <laughs> to when Sam was six or five or when how old he was when, when May was born and um, and she was six and she uh, she came along and I... <laughs> I was so freaked out because also I was an only child pretty much until I was 12. And so I had no, I was just this sort of doted on only child and, and there was no 
there was no uh, competition. I didn't have to deal with that. Right. And with wondering who loved who more and you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> anyway, so and so my feeling was which was my dad's sort of way, is just that you sort of make someone feel that you're the most important thing in the world and then they'll and that they tell them that they're perfect and brilliant and great and there's no one better. <sighs> and then they will be perfect and brilliant and great and there won't won't be anyone better. But when there's two of right. you, like how do you tell you both of them that they're the best thing in the whole world? <laughs> and so anyway, Sam May was born and Sam inevitably a, f- a few months or weeks, I can't remember later, said to me, Mom, do you love May more than you love me? And I thought the absolute right answer. Oh, no. <laughs> because my dad had done it. Because I did have a sister when I was 12. But he would say, I love you absolutely so much My more. dad did the same thing. And so I thought the, that was the right answer. Because right. that's what I wanted to mm-hmm. hear. And so, so I said, Sam, wrong. I love you so much more than May. May's just been born. I don't know her yet. I mean, she's like three weeks old. <laughs> It would be very weird if I loved her as much as you. I mean, I've had six years with you. You're this incredible boy. I said, I hope one day I will grow to love May as much as I love you. And 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 I, that day will hopefully surely come. But right now, no. And anyway, about two weeks later, he came down with his pet stingray and said, Mum, do you love Stingy more than me? Or do you love me more than Stingy? And I went, yes, of course I love you more than Stingy. <laughs> Absolutely, you're my favorite. Definitely, I knew that. Between you and between the you and the pet stingray, <laughs> and he went. You're not meant to say that, Mum. You're meant to say you love us both the same. Oh my god! And I w- then suddenly was like, oh, I think you might be right. And I went to my <laughs> shrink, and I was like, I said this thing. Is that wrong? And she went, It's so wrong. And I said, Why? Because I think I would like to be told I was the, like, I was loved the most in the world, even then. And she said, No, no, no. It's just terrifying for a child because it's like if you if you tell them, you know, they can change. Like you basically said, I love you now more than I love her, right. but it will all change. And right. You just have to from the get go say there's enough love and magically all this love there's, has come and it's, it's boundless it's boundless and I there's there's so infinite for you and infinite for me. And so I went back to. <laughs> Do you know what I said about, I didn't mean it. I meant that my love was boundless and that I just got that wrong. And I actually, there's just so much for you and so much for me. And there's just infinite. And and he felt, he did seem reassured after that. But anyway, that's an example of me not getting it right. Of just sort of, just wanting everyone to feel like they're the most loved. And then therefore finding it very difficult when they're rowing with each other. Because it's like, how do you manage that? And then, and then when they row with the outside world, it's weird because then I go to. Well, you definitely love them more than the outside. I world. love them more than the outside world, but I don't actually protect them really because I'm right. like, you must. I have... put myself in their position or something. I make it like me. Oh, they're a reflection of me, mm-hmm. and the outside world is thinking Emily Mortimer's daughter is <laughs> behaving very weirdly at school. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> She's obviously got issues or whatever. Not that not that I'm thinking they're thinking Emily Mortimer, but, you know, Maine Evola is behaving very weirdly. Right. Her parents must be very screwed up people. <laughs> so then, It's actually So about you your then start worrying about how you're coming across through your children or something. Right. I mean, if I don't know whether maybe it's something like that. You know what no, I mean? No, of like, course. I think about it all the time so, and then I get mad at myself for having that thought. So and then it's I'm, like, then you're like, May, what did you, yeah. why did you, you know, what did you have to do with getting cross you know I think we need to look about you know how this mm-hmm. started or whatever and May just says you just don't you always think it's my fault and I'm like no I don't I really don't I just I want to know how it started and everything and she said why can't you just believe me that it started with being mean and I'm like well and so that I don't I don't really know how to make them feel 
heard and like you're totally there for them on their side, absolutely 100%. And you're their rock, but you also want to help them navigate difficult conflicts and learn how to look after themselves through them, you know, learn how mm -hmm. to protect themselves and and make it life easier for themselves by being when they have when it's ne when it's needed by being kind of peacemakers or whatever or trying to see the other side or right like taking someone else's perspective which yes. they have a lot more trouble with yes I, I mean that's the thing is if you take a side it's harder for them to see that there might be another way to look at it so yeah. I, I could see a world where if you can just translate it into not what did you do to cause that? But more, what do you imagine? Like, what's been telling her yes. mom? Yes. His mom? Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Right now, not because you assume that they do something wrong, but just more like there have to be different ways to see this because otherwise you wouldn't have a conflict. So just what is that way? Okay, so this is funny. So May, we have to change name to something. Can I, can I, I say another name? I was just thinking name? that. Sure. I'll say another name then. You can, can you put it in? We'll just take out the name. We'll just beep it. Okay. Or I could just sort of say another name. No. Or you could well, pick another name. These names have been changed to protect the, the involved Is people. Is beeping or saying another name better of the same syllables that you can put in? I don't know. I'll say another name now quickly. Okay. And then I can always beep it if it, if it turns out that What's the other name. name? <laughs> Fuck it. Okay, beep it. <laughs> beep beep it. it. Okay. So say, um, so, so by the way, is the most lovely girl in the world. I love her. Um, and, but I know that, they, of course, they all wind each other up. Of course. Like it's not, nobody's not it's one It's nobody's fault. fault. That's but right. So she was saying that, so May had a sleepover with these with all these girls and uh, one set of girls, one girl, you're going to beat the name, had a problem <laughs> with a friend who wasn't there and uh -huh. she was complaining about the friend who wasn't there. And May said... Because, you know, I just said to you, I can see both sides of the story. Didn't the other person was talking about No, talking about the other, the other friend. Okay. And May said, I can see both sides of the story, Mom. And I just told her I could see both sides of the story. And she uh -huh. absolutely went ballistic at me. And I said, immediately, I was like, well, I understand why she would have gone ballistic at you. I mean, I think you're meant to say, oh, God, that must be really hard or something. If one of my friends said to me that they were having a hard time with their friend and my friend said, I can see the other side of the story. There are two sides of the story. I would be so upset. Even though it is really sophisticated of her. T totally. But I could, But then it's then she said, just after I'd gone on to that, she was like, then she said, Mom, you never support me and you never think that I've done anything right. And then she said, um... And it turned out that there were other friends there that were friends of the other girl that the ride and was mm, complaining about. That's really about. good she said that. <laughs> so it was really good she said that. So I had to backpedal that. I said, well, that changes everything. If the other friends are there and you're expected to take a side, then that was quite a good thing to say. Yeah, I mean, she was basically neut as neutral as possible. She was being neutral. Yeah, kind she was being <laughs> clever. <laughs> she can't really get in trouble with anybody except beep, beeped beep. out. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, these are the things that um, I find tawny. I realized I do, I often assume exactly, I'm always like, so what, do you, why do you think that that friend is mad at you? Yeah. What, what do you think you might have done? Yeah. <laughs> I definitely do that. And as you're talking about it, I think, oh, I might err on that side too of just like not 
because I, I, I rarely hear that from people. Usually when somebody tells a story about something or a conflict at school or something that happened with their kid, it's usually about how awful the other kid is. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, no, I'm the other way. And so... <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. May is used to the other kids' parents being like, I'll beat you and up she if you saying, say Why don't you go else? and talk to the teacher right. about this? May often says to me, I'd really like it if you talk to Drew about these, this situation. And I'm like, I really don't want to talk to Drew. That's funny. But I mean, most of the time it's great that you're not micromanaging her relationships unless there's like a bad situation where she needs protection. I think so. I think it is. I think it, it's better not. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's better not to just because I just. Don't I mean I just I I, I, I just don't want to know I don't want to know what she's <laughs> done and whether she's been terrible or not. But I mean, wouldn't this the this and the, presumably at school unless she was having obviously you would notice if there was a real emotional issue and she's coming home and she doesn't want to eat or she's not sleeping and she's talking about this one person who's not being nice to her. But it doesn't sound like that's no, the situation. No, no, there have been moments. There have been times in, in, in other grades where she's had that, where there have been a week or two of real not happy about whatever's going on. And then I ha and then I have spoken to the teacher. There you go. Yes, yes. And then it's time to maybe say something. And then to it's them. time to say something. But even in that situation, I think I uh <laughs> on the side of understanding the other kid. Like uh -huh. I feel like it's my duty, but I'm I'm questioning it as uh, this is in has come up a lot in the last few weeks because my kids tell me I always take the other person's side. So I'm being questioning like how can I make them I, I, I want to be fair and I don't want them to always think they're right or or not. I want them to feel that there's two sides to every yeah. coin or whatever, every story. And I think it's important to have empathy, like terribly. Yeah. It's terribly important to me that my children have empathy. But I definitely also want them to feel that I'm basically on their side. And I basically, but I don't know how that's, that's quite confusing. How. I think what you just said <laughs> to them is exactly what it is, which is I I, I want to hear that you. Yes. And then, but I, I want to also make sure, not but, and I also want to make sure that we can maybe just try to think about it from another perspective to just see if that changes yes. how they're thinking of it yes. and get them out of the like victim or just like yes. me thing. But just being open about wanting both of those things for them because it is important that they're empathetic and that they see that other people have uh, the right to and may have had a point and maybe to look inward. I think that's a great quality. But then also to make them feel heard, you could just <laughs> hear them yes. right first. I think it's you get that you can't disguise it. You get this sort of slightly high voice when you're saying, so what did what did you say? And then what did she say? And what did Ryden say? Okay, well, And so it's so clear that it's, 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 so clear it's that giving it's you. It's agitating yeah. you. And you're not, you're kind of, on guard, like you're not immediately thinking, or you know, I think that's the trick, probably, isn't it, to just be a bit chill about hearing it and to not betray your anxiety. I think my anxiety about around kind of conflict and fights, and just I've just spent my entire life avoiding them at all costs <laughs> and never have them, um, is and that they're so foreign to me that to sort of that that my that my kids having them, which is actually really healthy and it part is. of a rite mm -hmm. of passage makes me anxious and I think I betray my anxiety too much ar around it so that I think I'm you just answered that yes I think I have <laughs> there thank you, you go. Dr. Pressman I don't need to do anything <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all it is hear them with no without um, responding at all yes 
And then wait, maybe yes. take a beat. Yes. Because <laughs> do they always want advice anyway? They want to splurge. They don't even necessarily want Or do want they advice. just want to get their stuff they out? They just want to get it out. Then not they talk about it. They want to get it out without you feeling like you've got to fix it. Totally. Oh, yeah, that's it. I think if you just don't, yeah, like you just hear them without even asking about the other person's perspective. Because maybe they've gotten that already. Like that message is deeply ingrained yes. in them. So now you can just not say anything and just relax in the fact that they're telling you something and there is no need for your wisdom. Exactly. <laughs> and you're meant to say, aren't you? I, oh, what's the thing you're meant to say? That must be hard for you. Yeah, I mean, unless they have a, you know bullshit detector and you're feeling like Ugh, I don't even well say I this. have I, I know sometimes when my best friend or my husband does that to me I just want to punch, punch them, them in the fucking that's face the, but that's, that's the risk that's the risk but I don't most people I can I see if I say that say, I hear totally. you god that must have been so hard for you and you're like you don't that's, believe you me don't, and you're, you're not just on my side giving me a and you're just fucking humoring me it's a I real risk <laughs> for me to like my kids are like I have to I have to shut up a lot because <laughs> My go-to place sounds like I have a whole, like, long list of one-liners, and they're probably very irritating. So I see that inclination of wanting to punch me in the face, which is why I recommend saying nothing. Just saying nothing. But physically showing them that, that you yes. hear them, as weird yes. as that sounds like. Yes. We're, especially when you come from and your whole family is like a neck-up intellectual, although you're all artists, so I don't understand how the whole thing works. But you're very intellectual. And so, but but when you can, maybe not you, maybe I won't point fingers like that's a bad thing to be intellectual. But what I meant is that instead of saying you hear someone, you yes. can show them physically yes. that you hear them. Yes. Yes, that's nice. And also, there must be ways of saying I hear you without it sounding like a stock phrase yeah of just and because it is like oh god that must have been awful I mean that does that was quite a good performance that was <laughs> I actually I'm 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 actually having a flashback to some conversation we had a very long time ago where I feel like you said that and I felt so heard and now I feel like wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> I did mean it. I was sort of, I was. So oh, I, when I was you mean it, I, was, I think yes. it actually yes. is a great and authentic yes. thing to say. It's only those times when you're inside your head going, what the hell did you <laughs> blow this time? Like <laughs> that then it, you could just be quiet yes. and sit there. Yes. I think it all boils down to having faith in the fact what I said at the beginning, which I'm now going against, which I was praising myself so much for, for having, which was a sense that. Um, that my children are themselves and there's nothing really much I can do about it. Uh, you know, in this one instance, I feel like I'm meant to do something about it, about conflict. And I think it goes back to that, to just know that they are navigating it somehow themselves. I mean, unless, as you say, there's some major issue and the school is involved and you can tell they're really deeply yeah, they're, they're suffering. Falling. Yeah, right. um, that you should just trust that they're just, it's like a rite of passage. They're going through something and then... And you're just there to love them. And that's really your job. And they're, they're there to learn. And you can't really teach them much. So I, I'm negating the thing I said at the beginning, which is that I'm so, <laughs> I'm so good at letting them just be themselves. Because in that one instance, I'm really not. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, we, we do have to support them when they need, when they're flailing. Yes. And yeah, and then sit back when they're not. I can't believe that that much time went by. 
<laughs> this is the analogy that I heard that I'm stealing from someone else, and I can't remember who said it, but I thought it was so beautiful about parenting as kids get older, which is, you know, there are all those cliches, helicopter, yeah, yeah. Uh, snowplow, tiger. blah, blah, tiger. Um, but this was, we we need to be... We need to be the walls of a pool, and our kids are the swimmers, and the water is like their and their world, their friends, their school, mm. their lives, and only they don't think about the wall. You don't think about a wall of a pool right. when you're swimming. You only think about it when you're like really out of breath and or you drowning. need yeah. or drowning, <laughs> and you need something to hold on yes. to. And then we're not we're there, but otherwise we're probably not going to get much else. And we're never, but we're never, you know, those walls go, the pool gets bigger and bigger, but the walls never, they're always sturdy. Yes. They're never moving. Yeah, But they're also not like coming, like moving in and. Encroaching. Exactly. Thank you. Encroaching. (laughs) So. Thank you for thank you. Doing I feel this. like I've don't you feel like we just got scratched here? the surface. Yes, but I do feel like I've, I've it's been like therapy. It's quite good. I <laughs> I, I come back again. I'm so happy! I can't believe I didn't have to pay you. <laughs> here are my closing notes. I just wanted to elaborate on helping kids navigate those healthy but inevitable conflicts with friends. So if your kid opens up to you about a conflict, first listen. Really listen. Sometimes that's all they're looking for. If they're interested in your feedback, restate what you heard without judgment, just the facts, so that you can make sure that you're hearing them correctly. Then you can suggest adaptive strategies for helping them manage that conflict. Rather than look for signs of who was right and who was wrong, what you want to look for are signs of healthy versus unhealthy responses to conflict. Think about it. You're in this for the long game. It doesn't matter if in that particular moment your child was doing something wrong or the other person was wrong. You want to help with the tons of conflicts that are going to come about and to respond in healthy ways. And it's going to take practice and it's going to take a lot of failing. If you notice the unhealthy conflict styles, that would be passive aggressive or bulldozing or always feeling like the victim. You really want to help your child learn how to use different language to stand up for herself or himself, but also be respectful and thoughtful. Now, even adults have trouble with this, so it's not going to be one and done. It's definitely a process. So rather than tell your child exactly what to do, try helping your child walk through different scenarios of what might happen with different responses. And don't forget to practice helping kids balance when they might just want to let it slide. Make sure they know how to decatastrophize those normal day-to-day conflicts. See how they feel choosing to say nothing. There are many times in life where you can decide not to say something and where that will serve you. It doesn't mean that you don't notice it by not saying anything or that you don't feel it. It just means that sometimes you have the option to just let things go. And that's just as important as helping your kids figure out when to stand up for themselves and when to say something. Again, that's something to practice to imagine and to have your child decide for themselves what feels right as they imagine different scenarios based on how they respond. They're going to continue to navigate social waters and they'll see how the different responses that they have feel for them and they'll start to get more confident about what decisions they make. Whenever you're trying to navigate how much is too much support, how much is too much butting in, try to remember to listen more than talk and to let kids figure out for themselves what they're capable of figuring out for themselves guide and encourage them to try and do what they can almost manage and teach and model behavior and conversations that they just can't do yet or can't have yet. 
And now I'm just doing the Q&A with some of the direct messages that came on my Instagram. The first one is, is there any research on attachment or social development with having an only child versus having multiples? We would love to stay a family of three, but are getting it from everyone. How our son will be lonely, lack of social skills with his age group. He'll miss out on a lifelong best friend, etc. How much is social stigma and how much is truth? Thank you. So all of it is social stigma. None of it is truth in the sense that all of those outcomes are possible, but not necessarily because you have an only child. There's certainly stereotypes and research from long, long, long ago, decades and decades ago, that's been completely disproved about single children being more spoiled, not having someone, you know, a lifelong friend, needing to lean on others to create their own family, social skill deficits. But all of those things are possible whether you have five siblings or no siblings. And what the research shows is it's totally related to temperament and parenting. Sometimes it happens that an only child gets a lot of attention and parents may tend to spoil them, but you don't necessarily know whether or not that kid was going to be spoiled if they had five siblings again or just themselves. So most of the research, in fact, all of the research that I know of has been largely disproved. And most of it is just old wives' tales and people having really strong opinions your family will work best if you have the family that you wanted. And if you're happy, the three of you, that's great. You can, of course, be mindful as you would if you had many children of teaching your child to take the concern of others into account, that it's not always his way or the highway, that it's important to cultivate relationships and friendships and all sorts of things that you would, again, want to do either way. So keep that in mind and remember your family is your business and not other people's. Okay. Another question is, I have a 14-month-old daughter and the past couple of months, she's been wanting me to pick her up constantly, even though she has learned to walk. As soon as I put her down when we go downstairs to start the day, she starts crying and will follow me to the kitchen until I end up giving in and picking her up. I just can't do anything without her nagging me to pick her up. So sometimes I let her cry it out and I don't pick her up. And other times I'll give in because I feel bad I'm traumatizing her. I don't want her to feel like I'm not there for her. I'm not sure if it's comfort she's looking for or if she just likes to be near me doing things like I'm doing, cooking and cleaning. Most times I let her sit on the kitchen counter so she can be near me, but I don't want to keep doing that and for fear that she'll end up falling. So this is a very common question and pretty typical of a 14-month-old. So just because children learn to walk doesn't mean that they also don't come for desperate attempts to be held and snuggled and given reassurance. And what you can do is make sure that you support her autonomy by showing her that she's capable of walking and you don't need to carry her everywhere, pick her up all the time, but also find time to carry her and hold her without her asking and snuggle time. The other thing is, is to be consistent. So if she feels like the way to get you to pick her up is to throw a tantrum and to cry, it may be that she then realizes that's what she has to do all the time. And sometimes if you pick her up, it works. And so she's going to keep trying. 
What I would encourage you to do is you don't need to give in by picking her up. You can get down at eye level or sit on the floor with her and empathize and show her compassion either through body language or with your words that you understand she really wants you to pick her up, but that right now you're cooking or you're doing X, Y, and Z, or that you know that she's going to be able to walk by herself. So you're showing her that you have the empathy for her experience, that her feelings are valid, but you also are showing her you can't always pick her up and you're not traumatizing her. And then if she's still upset, you're there for her, you're available to her, but you're not teaching her that she needs you to pick her up every time she wants you to pick her up and that you are okay if she has distress and that you can help her get through it without giving in and changing your boundaries. Okay. This mom said, I've recently separated from my husband. We have two children, eight years and seven months. At the moment, their dad has moved to a different house, but we're looking at him moving back to the family property and one of us having the big house to live in while the other is in the cottage. I'd like to be able to co-parent like this, but I wonder how to explain this to my eight-year-old and how do I tell her that her parents are not together but live on the same property? Can you help? Well, I'm really sorry because I know divorce is so difficult and these are really tricky waters to navigate. What's wonderful is that you're trying to co-parent together peacefully. If you do decide that sharing a property and co-parenting is useful and makes sense for your family and that you are able to get along in a way that is completely um, thoughtful and without any of the animosity that can sometimes go along with divorce, that's great. And you can explain to your child that you absolutely aren't married anymore. In other words, you are not husband and wife, but you're not going to be, you're not going to be married and you're not going to be living in the same house, but you are still family because you are both parents of this child. And so as long as you're clear with the fact that it doesn't mean that you're married or that you're going to be getting back together because kids can get confused and get their hopes up and you have clear boundaries for the times that each parent is going to be there and that it's not just kind of a free for all and that you communicate and reduce tension and the negative feelings that might occur, your eight-year-old will understand And also make sure to say, if anything is confusing for you, please let us know. We always want you to come to us with any questions and you're always there to just listen. I am the mother of a three and a half year old and a six month old, and I'm willing to put in the work to raise good humans. I would love your help with a twice daily struggle we have had with our three and a half year old for as long as I can remember, hairbrushing. She has thin, straight, shoulder-length hair, not particularly problematic in theory. I've tried negotiating, rationalizing, and bribing. Currently, we have said that it's an expectation that must be met and that she brushes her hair twice a day, morning and night. That way, she has structure and knows that it's a non-negotiable. But the tears and tantrums at the mention of hairbrushing continue. At daycare, an educator tried to put a hair tie in and was met with a meltdown. I was asked whether she has had a traumatic experience with her hair, which she hasn't to our knowledge. I'm worried that she's not feeling heard, even though I'm trying to use Dr. Dan Siegel's strategy. 
I try to empathize, but I feel like I end up having a brush to her hair regardless of how much she hates it, which I hate. Any advice on what to do would be great. Thank you. Okay. Well, I have a couple questions for you. I want to figure out why it's so important to you that she brush her hair twice a day and why it's so important to you beyond, of course, hygiene, preventing lots of knots uh, to make hair brushing a big deal. And I want to know if she's also given the ability to carry a brush with her and brush her own hair versus having someone brush it for her. So since we can't talk about this, what I would say is think about those things. And from my perspective, I would say, go ahead and empathize with her and observe what you see, which is your hair is getting knotty and we need to put it up for daycare. Would you like to brush it? Or would you like to take turns brushing it and then I'll take a turn or something that engages her? Or you can say, I know you don't like brushing your hair and it feels so uncomfortable. Is there something that we can do while we're hair brushing to make this more fun? And I'm not suggesting TV or some kind of distraction, but more, can she brush her doll's hair while you're brushing her hair? Can she learn how to brush by playing, you know, with her doll's hair at the same time and you can give her some tips and tools and then she can try it on herself. So really trying to take away this battle and control over whether she brushes her hair and turn it into an opportunity for her to learn a new skill, which is self-care. And it sounds like if she has thin, straight shoulder length hair, that really will be easy for her. And I would say, I understand that you want to set a boundary, which is that she brushes her hair every day, but I would consider whether you want to do that once a day. Perhaps it's just a given she needs to wear her hair up and have it brushed for daycare because of course that's often a rule in programs to prevent lice or at least give some attempt to preventing lice. Um, so, and it's also, she's going out for the day and that makes sense. At night, if her hair isn't tangled, it may just be something you just take off the table and you say, let's do this during the day. Or again, you engage the dolls and you help her feel like she's part of this instead of it being a power struggle. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. Please continue to ask me questions through DM on at Raising Good Humans Podcast, and I'll answer them on the show. Also, it's really helpful to me if you enjoy Raising Good Humans, if you could subscribe, rate, and review. And join me next week when we talk about discipline and get some great scenarios from mom, model, and author Molly Sims.